There's a little thing that you need to do every now and then when you get a, a new thing, whatever that new thing is, is take a time and read the warning labels. Uh, you might find them kind of interesting. I know they have to have originated sometimes with some lawyer somewhere uh, out there, not digging on the lawyers because they're trying to prevent you from litigation. But uh, sorry, Brian, love you, brother. Uh, <clears throat> but the... Um, the reality is, is that there are just people out there that do stupid stuff and you got to have a lawyer to help you avoid stupid. Uh, maybe that's what it comes down to. The, uh, the one that I, I think just is hilarious and well, there's a lot of them, but one of them is the Starbucks coffee. You know, a couple of years ago, uh, Starbucks got sued or at least it went through the process of getting sued, uh, because their coffee was hot. Does that even make sense? I mean, coffee's supposed to be hot, but they literally had to put on their, on their cups for, I, I don't know, I don't see it uh, all the time. Put it up there, guys, uh, that, that this may be extremely hot. It's coffee. Unless you get an ice pour over coffee, it's going to be hot, okay? That's the way it's, 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 it's made. It's the way it's, it's supposed to be. Even iced coffee, I don't know. It's the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be hot. But sometimes you, you go a little bit further and deeper into some of these and you go, why did you need to put that there? Here's, here's one. If you operate a chainsaw, you might want to pay attention to this one. Don't put your hands, uh, don't grab a hold of the wrong part of the chainsaw. Why? Well, and then they even graphically show the fingers getting dismembered from the body. Just in case you were wondering, that might happen to you if you grab the wrong end of a chainsaw. Uh, another one, in case you want to get your kids all clean and the clothes all clean at the same time, this is on a commercial grade washing machine. Do not put any person in the washer. So just in case you were wondering that that might be something you might want to do, don't do it. All right. And, but here's the one that I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to let you read it and don't do this. Okay. I don't think that needs an explanation, but for some people it might need an explanation. So just pay attention and, and know where your thermometers have come from so you can know where they need to go. All right. These are, these are just good common sense, but again, sometimes common sense does not prevail. Sometimes it's the lack of sense that prevails and you need somebody to remind you of good common sense of some, some good rules. And, and, and again, we live in this world that you wouldn't have to explain them, but when we start moving common sense out of the mainstream and we start inventing our own common sense, or let me put it like this, when we start taking good, healthy boundaries, corners, boundaries, and we start moving those boundaries, we're going to be setting ourselves up for a, for a, for a mess. Take, for example, your neighbor puts a privacy fence up and decides to just carve in just because they like you or because they like the land. They just sort of carve off about five foot into your land. Are you going to let that happen? No, you're going to go to your neighbor. You're going to talk to move your privacy fence. If that doesn't work, you're going to get a lawyer. If that doesn't work, you're going to take him to court. All this kind of stuff, because that's yours. You don't just go move boundaries. You don't just change rules. It's above our pay grade. Okay, to just go out and start moving boundary markers uh, uh, that are out there. We're talking about something in this conversation of sexuality, about boundaries that we don't have the right to just go up and arbitrarily change them. Okay, God is the one who designed human sexuality. 
God is the one who designed marriage. He brought the man and the woman together in the garden in a perfect place. He said, this is good. And we don't have, it's above our pay grade to think that we can go in there. I'll say to you like this, God owns the patent on marriage. We don't have the right to go do it our own way. Just make it up as we go and do it the way we want to do it. We've been talking about the sexual ethic. And again, I think all of us struggle with a broken sexual ethic. And so I'm trying to get sex out of the gutter. I'm trying to bring it back into what God designed it and how I was shaped to be. And I want, here's what, here's my statement. I've said it every week. I want something that's proven. Okay. Sometimes it's new and innovative. Doesn't necessarily mean it's good. Okay. Proven. I want something that's timeless, that's gone through the time, gone through the seasons, gone over the, over the centuries. I want something that's sustainable. Okay. Life produces life. Life produces life. I want something sustainable. Also want something beautiful. I don't want it to be something that we hide from. I want it to be something we lean in on. I want something that's biblical. That's what I want to get at as a church because, again, it's it's above our pay grade to come in and to rewrite it just because it may not be working. To move the boundary markers just because we'd like to move the boundary markers. That's not in our position. I heard it said like this, and give it to you as a life principle. What God initiates, he regulates. He's God. If he initiated it, if he brought it, then every single one of us from this side of the room, that side of the room, those watching, every single one of us has to go, okay, God, what is it that you design? And how is it that I can live my life in accordance with that? So let me give you some verses that kind of talk about this. So one is Psalms, Psalm 74, verse 17. He says this in the, in the Psalms, go ahead and pop it up there, guys. He says, you have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. Now I know this is talking about the cosmic order, but, but think about it. The cosmic order, the way the world functions, God set the boundaries. He put things in place that were right and good and proper and proven and timeless. He set the boundaries. We would call these property lines today. He put the property lines in. He put the pins in the ground. It's the way it's supposed to be. And again, I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. All of our sexuality is broken. We've got to bring all of ours back in alignment with the one who set the boundaries. Okay? Talk about a heterosexual brokenness for a moment. Um, Hosea is a prophet in the Old Testament. He marries a prostitute. They're married. That, that marriage is broken as it was. It was. It was a metaphor for the entire nation and all of their adulterous relationship with God. And this is, notice that he brings in the boundaries on this statement in, in Hosea chapter 5 verse 10. Judah's leaders are like those who move boundary stones. I pour out my wrath on them like a flood of water. Again, we don't have the right to go and move boundary stones, boundary markers, landmarks. That's not something that we are allowed to. You go to the Old Testament law. 
the Torah, of which Jesus affirms the Torah all the way through. He did not come to annul the law. He came to fulfill the law. He came to point people to the law. Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 14 says, You shall not move your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set. Okay, something was set in the ground. Something was made. This is cursed to be anyone who moves the neighbor's, the neighbor's landmark. And all the people shall say amen. Basically, we're all going to agree. This is right. Good. Now, I'm not saying we're all going to agree, but I'm saying in the right, in the good model, we're all going to say yes, amen to that. Don't move the boundaries. Don't change the rules. This is what God set in place. This is not just talking about earth. It's not. Because you find in Proverbs, Solomon, in all of his wisdom, when he's talking about the precepts and the principles of life and the, how to steer your, 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 yourself through the, through the maze and the chaos of this world, what does he do? In two different times in, in, in Proverbs, in chapter 22, and also in chapter 23, he refers to the landmarks. Don't move the landmarks. Do not move the ancient landmark, but instead apply your heart to instruction. So don't see God's instruction as this evil ogre God who's trying to isolate us from fun and joy. He's actually trying to steer us into a life of flourishing, into a blessed life. Now, who doesn't want that? That's the way God has designed it. So, Let's talk about our present reality, this cultural moment that we're living in. There are so many variants, and I'm going to call them that, variants to God's original plan. There's more variants than I have time to go into. In fact, New York Times uh, uh, published uh, an article in 2018. If you email me, I'll send you the article. And they, they pointed out that there are 15 different diverse ways that you can do relationships. Now, here's what I want to come back to. I want to come back to another life principle that I, I don't want you to miss. I said this last week. I want to re, 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 re it today. We don't change truth. Truth changes us. Okay? I can't just choose. I want it this way. I'm going to make it this way. We don't, we don't have that right, okay? We, uh, we adapt to truth. Okay, back to the New York Times article. It literally, there are 15 different variants of God's original design. I actually looked at all of those variants and then added to them, because I've seen more. This is 2018, so we passed on a few years since then. I, there are other variants now to these 15. What am I trying to say? Instead of me going through, because I could take, I actually counted up 21. 21 different sexual variants from God's original design. We could take the next 21 weeks and talk about all of them. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus doesn't take and break down all of the, the, the variants that are out there. What we have to realize is that we have a Genesis, we, we, we live in a Genesis 3 world with a Genesis 1 blueprint, but we are on a trajectory to a Revelation 21 life. Let me say it to you again. Pop that up on the screen, guys. 
We have a Genesis 3 world. We live in a Genesis 3 world with a Genesis 1 blueprint and a Revelation 21 trajectory to the future. So we've got to figure out what, what, what are we going to operate off of? The blueprint, the trajectory, where, where, are we, where are we going with this? And I think it's John Tyson said it well. He said, we weep for a world that is. We remember a world that was. And we long for a world that will be. And I think that's so true of that statement right there. Take your Bibles and look at Matthew chapter 19. So again, I want to emphasize, we can look at 21 different variant forms of relationships. You can go through the LGBTQ+. You can go through the heterosexual swingers, polyamorous, uh, uh, polygamy. You can go through all the variants and forms of that. You can lay it all out there on the table and you can pick apart and pick and choose from each one of those variants. But Jesus doesn't do that. And you think, okay, well, Jesus doesn't do that. So therefore he didn't mention my variant. So therefore my variant is okay. Wrong. Jesus was not living in some sexual utopia of moral, uh, moral fabric of, the, of society in that day. What was going on in his day was there was in the Greco Roman world. Let me just tell you what was going on. It was legalized to have servant master sexual relationships. They had literally commodified it to where you could buy somebody, bring somebody in, and that was their, their, their role in your, in, in your home. Religious prostitution was legalized. In fact, it was encouraged in every major Greek community. There would be, could be a temple to Aphrodite's that would have Literally, if you go to Corinth, when I've been to Corinth so many times, you can see on the mountaintop in the Agora where, where the, where, where the temple Aphrodite's was. You can go up there and literally on top of that mountain and walk in the footprints in the, in, 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 in the foot, uh, uh, or excuse me, the, the, the foundation of where the temple Aphrodite's stood and where thousands of prostitutes would come down into Corinth and take their men back up for a religious experience. Legalized, all legalized. Homosexuality was legalized. Romans chapter one, you can read that. There's a form of pedophilia, legalized, called pedastry. And I don't even want to go into it. I've read up on it. It's not something that we want in our culture. What happens is religious leaders come to Jesus and they propose to him, hey man, can we divorce can we divorce? And what grounds are for divorce? Because there was two different uh, religious thoughts, if you will, in that day. One, you could divorce only in the case of adultery. Another one was uh, you could divorce if your wife raised her voice. Okay? How many divorces would there be today? If your wife burnt their food, you could divorce your wife. So there were grounds for, for divorce on just about anything. You could, you could do, and that, that was what Jesus was asked the question. Jesus will turn that one question and answer every other form variant out there. Cause what he's going to do is what I hope we would learn to do instead of talking and debating over that variant and that variant, we'd say, Hey, Jesus, God owns the patent on marriage. God owns the patent on sexuality. We have to operate within his patent 
of how he designed us to operate. It's beyond our pay grade. So now let's look at Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 4. So they come to him, is it lawful to divorce? When can you divorce? Verse 4. And he answered, have you not read? Points him to the scriptures. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning? So notice this. Forget the variance of our day. Forget the variance of tomorrow. He's going to point them back to the beginning, to the way God designed it. So circle the word beginning. Made them male and female. Sexual identity was very clear, very defined. And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And they said to him, now they start playing scenarios. They start quoting Moses. Moses uh, commanded one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away. And he said, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But he didn't, he didn't dwell on that. Didn't make it about that. He says, but from the beginning. He points him back to the beginning. So I want to point us back to the beginning. Take your Bibles and open to Genesis. I told you we are living in a Genesis 3 world with a Genesis 1 blueprint, with a trajectory to Revelation 21. So where is that all taking us? Where are we going? Well, I want to look at three landmarks, okay? Landmarks that God has established that we get to live within and we don't have the right to move them, okay? And it's about our marital sexuality, okay? One is marital sexuality is about a divine matchmaking. God sees your need. He brings you together as, 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 as one. You see it in chapter two of Genesis. Hit these verses with me, uh, real quick. And the Lord God took Adam and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Notice this, that before man fell, man was working. Before humanity fell, humanity was working. It's not a bad thing to have a good job. It's not a bad thing to work. But then he noticed, something. Look at verse 18. And then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Key words in there. We'll come back and hit some of them again in a moment because he says it again in verse 20. But Adam there is, was not found a helper fit for him. Then it says, in verse 22, this is after the man goes to sleep, makes a, makes a woman out of, out of the man's rib. He said, and from the rib, he created her and he brought her to the man. Notice the divine matchmaking, but notice what God does. He looks at the man and he says, you're not complete. You're not, you're not all there. Okay. You need somebody to complete you. Now hang on singles. 
I know there's singles in the room. I got something to share with you in this message. This is not, you have community. You still have a place. And I know it can be very isolating when the church so focuses on marriage and we make marriage the penultimate, uh, relationship in life. And again, I want you to know this marriage is actually temporary. We're not going to be uh, married when we get to heaven. So this is a temporal blessing gift from God that he gives us. But we'll talk about uh, that in just a moment. But I want you to key in on a couple of phrases there. Helper. Some people have taken that word and they have abused it. You're just my helper. Demeaned women. Made them lesser. Made them feel lesser. Actually, it's the Greek, it's the Hebrew word, Azar, which we get Ezra from that word. And it means compliment, challenger, or, or, or completer. Somebody who completes me. Completes the deal. Makes me whole. In fact, it's not, it's not a demeaning word at all. In fact, I'll point this out to you that this same word azer is used of God and put L in front of it. It's Eliezer in chapter 46 of Psalms, verse five. God is referred to as the Eliezer. And also in chapter 79, verse nine, David prays to God as his azer. We all need an azer. We all need a helper. We all need a completer. We all need people in our life that make us. And notice this, that he's going to fit them together. So there's this divine element of God bringing someone into a relationship with someone. Now, I know that dating and courtship has gone through generational revolutions. Okay. And the good thing is, is there's not a whole lot in the scripture on it. Okay. So just be as creative as you want in the whole dating scene. And boy, we don't, we have it today. Get you an app on dating. All right. And and you can date more people meet through a dating app these days. Notice that than meet through friends or family. Okay, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty big thing. More people meet the person they're gonna marry through a dating app. Let me give some caution. I'm okay with that. Okay. I have no problems with that. Go ahead with that. It's like, it's like you see them before you have to meet them. It's like you meet them before you have to spend money on them. I I know there's all kinds of advantages, but we've made dating into Amazon Prime where I want my product delivered by tomorrow. And I, 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 we, it may be the most efficient way, but it may not be the most effective way. And so I, I want us to just lean in on that for just a moment and to make sure we're doing the right thing. Because this is what online dating has done. This is studied, is it out there? And I, and I, and I read it, and so it's just interesting. Online dating has changed the question. We have gone from asking, what are, who am I supposed to marry? Who am I supposed to be with? To asking this subconsciously, what are my options? What are my options? Swipe right if you don't like option one. Keep swiping if you don't like those options. Instead of meeting somebody and having to develop some social skills, this is again what's come out in this study. Instead of having to develop some social skills and go and interact with somebody and actually be interesting and show you're interested in somebody, now we at the surface make a judgment on somebody based on what they say about themselves in a profile. How well they can market themselves. 
And instead of going to an event, a Bible study group, instead of going to church or instead of going to a party and meeting some people and, and all that kind of stuff, and you having three or four interactions in a night, now you in minutes can have hundreds of interactions. The article goes on to say it's turned men into incessant predators where what they're looking for is their next option. One person in the article called their women that they meet their Tinderellas. Ladies, you're not exempt from this either. One lady in the article said that uh, she calls it Tinder food stamps because she gets a dinner and a date in one swipe. So again, this is the world that we live in. I'm not dogging it. I'm just trying to say this. We got to be aware that it's changing how we interact to the point that we might just allow the algorithms to choose our next spouse. And I want to refer you back to the scriptures now. God was trying to fit people together. He was trying to bring us together. Matthew 19, 6, we read it earlier. Therefore, what God has joined together. You've got to ask yourself a serious heart level question. How much is God helping me? If you're single, how much is God helping me choose my spouse? How much is God speaking into this relationship? Genesis chapter 2, verse 22, the Lord God brought her to the man. I want to say again to the singles in this room, we as a church have made marriage almost an idol. I'm sorry for that. We program around the family. We talk about the family. The reality is I realize that most people are married, so therefore we talk to most people, and therefore we exclude other people. And I apologize for that. Because you got to look at singleness is, is not the dreaded abyss. Singleness is a reality for some that will be the reality for all their life. And we got to see that, you know, maybe God is working in this. I look at the New Testament and I say, who are the most influential people for the kingdom of God and seem to have their life pretty well put together? Two people. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, was single. Jesus was single. Oh, but he's God, right? He's God, but he's also fully man. He dealt with every temptation like us, but did not sin. There's an ability, singles, married, you're going to have to learn to be whole in yourself so that you can be holy for somebody else. And you can't just wait for somebody to make you whole. Paul said it like this, so I say to those who aren't married and, and to the widows, it is better to stay unmarried just as I am. Let's talk about number two, landmark that we don't have the right to move. Marital sexuality is about unified diversity. God, in his matchmaking ways, brings unmatched people together. He brings opposites attracting. 
Different ways we think about a man and a woman just process through life differently, see life differently, go through life differently, emotionally, do anatomically we're different. But that's a part of God's design to bring us together in a beautiful union. And yes, it was, first of all, for procreation. You got to realize Genesis chapter one, the perfect world. First thing God does, he tells the woman, husband and wife, go get together and make babies. Genesis chapter one, verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. The very first commandment that God gives us is make babies. It was for that. It brings this diversity and this union together. Now, what happens is when life begets life, incredible thing. In fact, this past week, we have another grandbaby. And I know you're wanting to see the picture. So here it is. Lincoln, Michael. Yes, Michael did make me cry a little bit. And so, uh, born on 11-11. If you remember back in February, the second month of February, on the second day of February, we had twins, two, two, two. God just has a way of working out one, 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 one. And then he works out in, in twos for us right now. And those babies were born through... Um, through a special medical process. It was happened in a laboratory. James and Sailor were born in a laboratory before they were ever born inside of Jordan's womb. But even in that, it took a piece of Tiernan and it took a piece of Jordan and brought it together in a beautiful way. God loves unifying the diverse, bringing us together. That's the way God designed it. He also brought us together for a beautiful, pleasurable, whole life experience. When I talk about sexuality, it's not just an event. It is a all-in heart, soul, mind, and strength into a relationship. And coming together as one is a pleasurable thing. It is not, again, an event only. It is a, a whole life loving and intimate relationship. A few years ago, back in the fall of 2019, you can go online and watch the series. It too is PG-13, just like this series is. Um, and it was the Song of Solomon series. And went through that study, chapter 7, one of the most erotic chapters in the book. But it is beautiful. It starts off with Solomon courting his wife, giving her words of affirmation, saying, I love you. You are mine and I am. It is this beautiful. I am calling to my wife. I'm longing for my wife. My wife is here. The man is initiating it, but he's not initiating it with a touch. He's initiating it with his words. It's a whole life experience. And what does she do? She responds. She brings herself fully. He brings himself fully. This is how the words go in verse 10. And I'm only going to read three verses. Again, you go read it for yourself. I, this is what she says back to her husband. I am my beloved's. Now I want to camp on that. Men, your wife ought never, ever question who you love emotionally, physically, mentally. That's just it. 
this wife said, I know I am loved by my beloved. So what does she turn around and do? And she also says, his desire is for me. He wants, she wants me. She don't want the other woman. She don't want somebody he saw online. He wants me. Verse 11, so now she responds back to him. Come, my beloved, let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. Now, let me just say this. This is poetic language. I'm going to let your mind go to where this goes, okay? But this is not go out in the field and let's get sweaty in the vineyards. Let us go out early in the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms are open and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes, which by the way is an aphrodisiac. The mandrakes give forth fragrance beside our doors are our, 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 our choice fruits, new as well as old. And the older I get, the more all I can give Lori is the old. So, <laughs> which I have laid up for you, my beloved. My friends, sexuality in a marriage can be, should be, must be beautiful, awesome, proven, time, timeless. It's supposed to be that way. And if it's not, let's not go try something else, somebody else, some new form, some new method. Let's fix what's broken and make right. Number three, marital sexuality is about transparency, acceptance. It's about divine matchmaking. It's about a unified diversity. It's also about a transparent acceptance. You see me, I see you. I love you. You love me. You know not everything about me. There's no secrets about me. I'm, I'm an open book for you. And I will say this, that 90% of the marriages that I perform, ceremonies that I perform, I'm going to do one this next Friday night. I will go to Genesis chapter 2. And I will read the very first marriage account, which by the way, in Matthew, and I'm not reading it again because in Matthew 19, it's what Jesus refers to. A husband, a man shall leave his father and mother and the two shall become one. But notice what it says in verse 25. Don't miss this. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There's this beautiful intimacy of being fully known and fully loved. Fully known and fully loved. Naked and unashamed. I've heard intimacy defined this way. Into me you see. Intimacy. That's what it's supposed to be. A total life experience, a, not just a, a, a sexual encounter, but a total, you see all of me, nothing is hidden, no passwords on my phone, no apps on my phone, over here, uh, my secret separate life over here. It's everything is before you, everything is before me. We are one. We are intimate with one another in that way. Again, we live in a Genesis 3 world with a Genesis 1 blueprint and a Revelation 21 trajectory into the future. What does that mean to us? 
Because I love the intimacy of chapter 2, verse 25. But the reality is we live in chapter 3. Where mankind chose not to do what God told them to do. And you pick up in verse, chapter 23, verse, verse 4. It says, and but the serpent said to the woman, you are not, uh, you will not surely die. Basically tells God that he's a liar and, and she does her own thing. She takes the fruit. She gives it to her husband. The husband, they're, they're both as guilty as, uh, there's not one more guilty than the other. He's guilty for being passive and not stepping into that space. But notice what happens in verse seven, seven verses after verse 25. And the eyes of both were open. And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. All of a sudden, the intimacy of being fully known and fully loved is now compromised. All of a sudden now, they're covering up. All of a sudden now, there's barriers. There's lines of separation between them. They're no longer fully known and fully loved. I want you to see the impact. I want to start with the second impact. The second impact is that what sin does in a relationship is it builds walls. It builds walls between you and the one that you love, the one that you are madly in love with, the one that you couldn't imagine living another day without when you walk down the aisle. That person that you gave yourself to, When sin enters in, it breaks and creates a barrier between us and our partner. But number two, it creates a barrier between us and God. Between us and God in the, in the fact that no longer were they able to stay in Eden. They were kicked out of Eden. And here's what I want to say to you. Humanity, since that day, has been trying It's best on its own to get back to Eden. I want to get back to flourishing. I want to get back to intimacy. I want to get back. And so what we do is we create all these different platforms, all these different ways, all these different methods. We don't need a new methodology. We need to get back to Eden and back to what God designed it to be and look like and feel like. The crazy thing and awesome thing about the scriptures is you see in Genesis 1 and 2, the Bible begins with a marriage. And then you go to Revelation 19, the last chapters of the Bible, the Bible ends with a marriage. That marriage is going to be the marriage between God's children and the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 19 Verses six and nine. Then I heard the, the sound uh, like a great multitude, like a roar of a rushing waters, like the, like, 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 like the peals of thunder shouting hallelujah for our Lord God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. The bride, we're the bride makes herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, given to her to wear. And then the next verse, the angel of the Lord said to me, John's writing, write this, blessed are those who are invited 
to the wedding of the supper of the Lamb. Back in the day when we used to go to movies, remember that day? Used to go to the movie theater? I was the kind of guy that wanted to get there early to see the trailers for future movies. It would capture my attention. I'd look forward to that movie coming out. A biblical marriage on earth is a trailer to the biblical marriage between his bride and Jesus. A marriage that is intimate, fully known, fully loved. A marriage that is exclusive for one another. A matter, a marriage that brings together the differences of the, the genders. That is the way we are because we are different than Jesus. But yet we come together as one. This marriage on earth is supposed to be a trailer for the marriage of heaven. Your marriage should preach the gospel. This is a gift from God, a grace gift from God. Live in it. Now, I know in this room, there are people right now, I'm struggling, Mike. I feel shamed. I feel broken. I feel like I can't fix it. What, what, what's, what's broken? I come with great compassion. I grew up in a home. I had family members, uncles, lots of divorce. I saw lots of brokenness. So I don't come in a judgmental spirit. I want to come with compassion and say, start right now where you're at. And the very first relationship that needs to be restored is actually not with a spouse. The first relationship that needs to be restored is with Jesus Christ. If you get that right and you fall in love with Jesus and you live out that relationship well, I promise you, you will be the best husband or wife in any marriage because you will have experienced forgiveness. You will experience grace. You will experience unconditional love. You will have experienced sacrificial love. You, the best gospel story is that marriage lived out well. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, every one of us is broken. Father, it's not my desire to shame anyone in this room because we're all coming to this space right now in a moment of brokenness. But God, you bring it whole. You make it right. Lord, as the bride prepares herself for the wedding in Revelation 19, so today we prepare ourselves for the marriage to you. We want to be made right with you so that we can be right with others. So we can be right with our spouses. God, restore what is broken. Call us to repentance where we're not walking with you. God, make us whole. Not only in our relationship with our spouses, make us whole in our relationship with you. Father, tear down the walls. The walls between us And any wall.